Thanks for coming and being here with us at Cornerstone. If you didn't get a set of sermon notes, raise your hand. They've got sermon notes available for you. Thanks, John. Hey, would you give the band another hand of appreciation? They come and work really hard for you. We're finishing up our series today entitled Work Matters, and our title today is Building a Life Worth Smiling About. Go ahead and open up your notes with me, and in the Old Testament from the book of Judges chapter 6, we're going to read the story about Gideon, just the very beginning of it. But in order to understand the series, you've got to understand that he is in desperate, dire straits. Now, I don't know how you phrase that, but go ahead and tell the person next to you, my dad was from Missouri, and in Missouri, when you're in really bad trouble, you're up a crick. And so tell the person next to you, when you're in really bad trouble, how do you say it? Go ahead. Now, remember, you're in the sanctuary, so let's be careful here, because I know what some of you say. All right, let's go ahead and take a look at the Scripture, and we'll fill in your phraseology here. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years they were up a creek. They were in, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because of the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Now, where it says strongholds, it gives the impression that they were up there in forts. No, they weren't. They were hiding out in the rocks. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up like a swarm of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Would you underline that? They cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and have delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you the land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you've not listened to me. The angel of the Lord, in verse 11 The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Bezerite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress. Now, he's hiding out in the winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, this is a a problematic verse because at first it sounds kind of sarcastic. This guy's hiding out, you know, afraid the Midianites are going to show up. And he turns around, the angel says, you know, greetings, mighty warrior. You, you need to know, I don't think he's being sarcastic here. What he's doing is he's recognizing what he sees in Gideon. Take a look at 13. Pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why have all this, has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders? Would you underline that? Where are all his wonders? that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Now, in verse 15, you need to recognize that Gideon's going to begin to make an excuse. Just as in the Old Testament, when Moses was called by God, he began to make an excuse. Here's, uh, here's Gideon's. Pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. He's saying, my family is the smallest in our tribe. And 
I'm the smallest guy in my whole family. I'm the smallest guy in my family. My family's the smallest one in the tribe, and our tribe ain't nothing to shout about. How can I do it? The Lord answered, I will be with you. Underline that. I will be with you. And I will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Take a look at the right-hand side. Let's talk about the whole life equation. During the course of the last few weeks, we've been focusing in on this idea of work matters, and we've been talking about our vocation. But we need to understand that life is more than just work. It's more than just our vocation. Here's the whole life equation. Vocation, and number one, vocation plus avocation equals our life. Vocation plus avocation. Now, avocation literally means away from. And so vocation, that's your job, your career, your calling. Avocation is everything else. So our vocation, our work, plus everything else is what makes up our total life. I don't want to give you the impression from this series that we think that life is just about the workplace, but I also don't want you to have the idea that the workplace is not a major component in your life. Get the whole equation. We've got vocation, we've got avocation, and from those things, we build the life that God intended for us. Now, take a look at number two. On the, over the last few weeks, we focused in on the vocation side, the work side. And we came to you, and Pastor Josh talked to you in letter A about your work matters. Make sure that you give your very best. It's a great sermon. The next week, I came and talked to you about even in a bad situation, even in difficult circumstances, we can make it better with wisdom, and remember, we work as unto the Lord. Then last weekend, Pastor Josh came and talked to you about recognizing the season that you're in and embracing it. There was a, a graph in his sermon notes last week. How many of you remember that, that diagram in his sermon notes? Raise your hand if you remember that. Make sure you hang on to that. If you didn't hang on to it, we'll see if they can post it on the website for you or something so that you can have a copy of that. That is really important teaching. You should use that. It applies not just your work. That applies to several areas of your life recognizing the season and embracing it. So we've been focusing in on, that on the vocation side. Today we're going to broaden it out just a little bit. Take a look at number three. Our goal is for both parts of this equation to help us build a life worth smiling about. Now, I don't know what really makes you smile. In my life, you know what, when I come home at the end of the day, it's just an awful lot of fun to come into my house because we have a, we have a Labrador. How many of you have a Labrador? Raise your hand. Labradors are the best dogs. Now, this is not an insult to anyone else's dog. I saw Pastor Josh's dog the other day. Even though it was really small, it was really cute, it made me smile too. But that Labrador, when I come home, I mean, she is always happy to see me. Chadwick, are you trying to get my good side? Because I ain't got one, dude. All right. You know, when I come home, she is just so very, very happy when I get in the door. In fact, a lot of times she will, will pick up a toy and she'll just start talking. And so, you know, I mean, she just, you know, makes all these noises. I mean, she's glad to see me. If she doesn't have a toy, she'll start yelping. When my youngest son comes up to visit from San Diego, when she sees him, she just goes berserk. It just makes you smile when you see that. I was out for my walk yesterday and, and, and this young lady in our congregation, she had a baby about six weeks ago. And, you know, just the cutest little, little infant. I mean, so she's out there with her three-year-old and this infant in this double-wide stroller, and she is running. You know, now I am walking, okay? There will not be any running involved with me if it doesn't involve wild animals, a bear, a lion, something like that. You know, I'm, it's just other than that, I will be out for my walk. But she is running up this hill. Kind of made me feel guilty, but I got past it. And you know, she came up and she said, you know, Pastor Ron, you want to see the baby? And so I saw the baby. I mean, they just make you smile when you see that. There's all kinds of 
of things that make us smile. And smiling is a very important part of how God designed us. Most people don't realize, but there's a physiological reaction to smiling. The, when a person smiles, there's dopamine released in their, their brain. There's uh, uh, oxytocin. There are do- there's, uh, serotonin. There's endorphins. There's all kinds of physical reactions to smiling. In fact, go ahead and try it out on the person next to you. Go ahead and look at them and give them the big smile. Go ahead. The big smile. The one that reaches all the way to your eyes. Now, I know some of you men are afraid the women around you will swoon, but go ahead and try it out on them anyway. Go ahead and turn it up. Give them the full wattage, okay? There's a a physical response that takes place there. Friends, what we want to understand is that Jesus didn't come that we would survive. Jesus didn't come that we would get by. Jesus didn't come that, what it says is, I am come that you might have life. I think it's in John, don't quote me on the, the reference, but I think it's in John chapter 10, verse 10. But he says, I am come that you might have life. But what kind of life? Abundant life. God designed us for joyful life. And you know, in, in a world that has so much oppression, we have people around the globe who are being persecuted for their Christianity. We should celebrate all the more how much God has blessed us. We should be in prayer. The Bible says, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. We should be in daily prayer for those around the globe who are being persecuted for their faith. But we should also embrace the joy that God has for us. Building this life worth smiling about is an important part of living out what, ha- what he says in John 10, 10, living that abundant life. Now, look at the next one. I can teach you what makes the Lord smile. In fact, it's letter A under number three. I can teach you what makes God smile. But within his smile, there's room for infinite creativity. God smiles on our worship. God smiles on our faithfulness. God smiles on our obedience. God smiles on all of these things. But remember, within the smile of God, there's room for you to be the person that God created you to be. Several years ago, my oldest son, he came to me and he said, Dad, I want to change my major in college. And friends, when your kid comes to talk to you about changing your major in college, remember, the average student changes their major, I think it's six times during those four years. And so if they're under six, don't, don't get all worked up about it, all right? It's going to be okay. If you, they chose something you really, really hate, just wait. It'll change again, all right? But he, he came to me and, and said, you know, Dad, and, and he had that that tone of voice. Have you ever noticed that your kids all have this tone of voice when they want to tell you something they think is bad news, like, you know, they hit the car or they ran, you know, ran over some, you know, they have, and he started off with that voice. And I said, what, son, what's the problem? And he said, well, I want to change majors. He was a business major at the time. And he said, I, I want to change. I, I said, okay. And he said, I want to go into, you know, public relations and advertising. And I said, okay. And he said, well, you know, dad, I know you studied this. And I said, son, do you find something that you really love studying and, and go that direction with it. It's going to be okay. I will be glad for whatever makes you glad. In other words, within my smile, there's room for the creativity. Within our Heavenly Father's smile, there's room for creativity for you to be the person that God designed for you to be. There's, there's infinite creativity in God, yet we get this idea that, well, I have to do this, I have to do that. Take a look at the next one with me. Letter B. I don't know what it looks like for your life, but you can know. It's time to pursue that life. The life that makes you smile, not just our Heavenly Father. He'll smile on your obedience, faithfulness, and worship, but makes you smile as well, that designs the abundant life for you. Now, take a look at number four. Gideon is obviously not smiling. Gideon is far up that creek. Gideon is in big old trouble. And so however you want to describe it, Gideon is having a really bad time of it. And we're going to look at Gideon's bad time because there are some clear signals 
of needed change. Now, the reason I put these in here is because I think these are still clear signals of needed change. If you recognize any of these three things in your life, it's a clear sign that something needs to have a new approach. Take a look at the first one. He was oppressed. Life wasn't working. In other words, sometimes there's a major area of our life that just isn't working. Maybe it's your work life. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in your parenting. You recognize, you know what? This is not working like it's supposed to be working. With that in mind, that's a clear sign that it's time to sit down and begin to redesign the life that God intends for you. The second sign, letter B, he was scared. In other words, continual anxiety, constantly feeling a fearfulness in us. That's a sign that, no, 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 something's not right. God did not design us to live with constant fear. Constant fear, constant anxiety, constant worry also has a physical reaction with our body. It, that stress level releases all kinds of things in our body that are unhelpful for us. God did not design us to withstand high fear, high anxiety for long periods of time. The third sign, he knew that there was something better. What I really like in this chapter is when Gideon asked the question, where are the days when God released his people from Egypt? Where are the days of the mighty rescue of God? Where are the days of his wonders? And the angel answers back, these are going to be those days. Friends, in his gut, Gideon, there at the wine press, there hiding from the Midianites, in his gut, he knew there was something better than what he was settling for. God did not design Gideon and the Israelites to live under the oppression, uh, the Israelites to live under the oppression of the Midianites. God did not design Gideon to hide out in the wine press. So let's talk about the process. Let's talk about how we, we go about building this life worth smiling about. Take a look at letter B with me. Here's the process. The first step, and this is the hardest one, the first step is to begin to dream the dream. Now, this is difficult for people because we are creatures of habit. Now, being a creature of habit isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's a shortcut. The People have all kinds of things they do automatically, the same way, every single day, because it speeds up life and lowers anxiety. Guys, you don't realize this, but you put on the same, you know, you put the, the sock on the same foot each day. I started to say the same sock, but that would imply that I think you're never changing them. But the, you, you start off with the same foot every day. You put on the same shoe first every day. You put the same foot in your pants to pull them on every day. The, the, the first one that you put in is the same one you, when you put on a shirt. You always start off by putting a certain arm in. Most of you couldn't even tell me which one you use first. You just do it automatically. But this automation stretches beyond that. You have all kinds of things you do automatically. You have a restaurant that you don't realize it, but every time they ask you where do you want to go eat, you say the same thing. In fact, tell the person next to you, don't tell them your favorite restaurant, tell them their favorite restaurant. Go ahead and tell the person next to you. My wife is a French toast addict. I've been trying to get her in a 12-step program for it. She has this one restaurant, and she and my son, 
they start talking about French toast, both of them are addicted. I mean, they start talking about it, and my wife's saying, this is the best French toast. And my, my youngest son will say, all right, better than we had in Williamsburg? She said, yeah, even, well, better than we had when we visited D.C. I mean, they start naming off to compare French toast around the globe, all right? And she has this one restaurant that every time I say, where do you want to go eat? I know I am going to get stuck going to this one place. I loved it the first 50 times, all right? But I am sick of it now. Hey, for those of you that have families that wonder who chooses the restaurant, the, that's predictable. Family dynamics generally work this way. Third person to give an opinion is the one, that's the restaurant you're most likely to go to. Uh, husband and wife in front seat, they're going to say, where do you want to go? Oh, well, I don't really know. Where do you want to go? Oh, well, I don't really know. Hey, kids, where do you want to go? First child to speak up. That's where you're going. And the reason is, is the second child, even if they disagree with the first child, because you get allowed them to pick, you're going to feel bad. And so statistically, third person with an opinion. So if you really have a place you want to go, you need to wait until the other two, other two names are thrown out of the way, all right? So you can come in and swoop in on third and actually end up eating there. In other words, you have habits. There are certain things you do the same way all the time. This is why dreaming the dream is so very, very difficult. It's hard for us to picture life other than the way it is. I've seen people in dire circumstances who become accustomed to that, and for them to envision life being any different is just extremely difficult for them. In fact, you've seen the same thing. You've looked at someone and said, you know, how, how do they continue to live in this problem? It's because life normalizes whatever our circumstances are, and we become accustomed to it, and it's hard to envision things being any different. Friend, the life that God designed for you may be what you're living, but if it's not, it's time to dream a new dream. Take a look. Let me give you three ideas. The first one, let your imagination wander. Wander beyond, and maybe you just start off simply. You know, if I didn't do this for a living, what would I do? I'm not saying quit your job, but ask the question. If I didn't do this, what would I do? What would I be interested in? Take a piece of paper and begin to write down some statements like, I would love to. I would like to. I would love to. I would like to. It may be in a relationship. You know, I would love to. I, you know, I would like to. Maybe in your parenting, I would love to. The, the first step is just to allow your mind to wander. Second step is separate on that list. Be, go ahead and break it into two separate lists. Separate the love to's and the like to's. In other words, things that really you have a passion for versus an interest. You see, the things you have an interest may come to pass, but the things you're really going to be willing to change for are things that you have a passion about. Third step, ask yourself the question of, is this possible? Or is there some impediment that makes it impossible? Things that require world-class physical talent, maybe you put the, don't take them off the list, but move them to the bottom of the list. There are certain impediments that, that I have. There's things I, I can't do. I, you know, I would, I would probably not do very well in a lot of careers because of my colored blindness that I talk about to you. Those, I, I don't differentiate reds and greens. And so when you see the fall colors, it just looks like leaves to me. They've all got colors, but I don't know what they are. And so, you know, in fact, a guy came up, I saw it advertised the other day, they've come up with a way to cure red-green color deficiency. That, that's what I have. And so there are these glasses that you can wear that actually helps you differentiate. But then you can't tell the difference between yellow and blue. And I thought, well, that's a great improvement, all right? And so, 
you know, the, that impediment would make some things, you know, highly improbable. Now, some may not be impossible for you, but the things that, that are really highly improbable, the, the idea of me becoming, you know, a, an, NBA, a, an NBA player, you know, just really, really, really low, okay? I mean, just, you know, that, that's just probably not something that, that's going to develop. You say, well, you know, Ron, if you practice hard enough, friends, I, I got to tell you, I am 52 years old. You know, I, I'm short. I don't have very good eyesight, and I have really poor hand-eye coordination. You know, sometimes shaving is an adventure, all right? And so, you know, the idea, it, no, I know myself well enough. That is really a low probability. And so the things that are that you love to, the things that you like to, and the things that are possible. That, look at the next one with me. Number two, second step. Recognize and silence the automatic voice. I was talking to a men's Bible study, I'm sorry, a men's breakfast a couple of weeks ago, and I talked to him on this subject, silencing the automatic voice. Now, when we hear the automatic voice that you say, you know, I'd like to, oh, well, you could never do that. The, you got to, first of all, ask yourself, whose voice are you hearing? Some of you are hearing your dad's voice from 20 years ago. Some of you are hearing your mom or a grandparent. You're hearing them tell you that you're stupid. You're hearing them tell you that you'll never amount to anything. You'll hear them telling you that you're good for nothing. You'll hear them telling you, you know, you're just never really going to make it. Friends, here's what you've got to, to come to grips with. It may have started off as their voice, but as we reach adulthood, that voice becomes ours. We, are, we have to recognize that the one telling us no now is no longer grandpa or mom or dad. The one telling us no now is us. We can recognize it. We can silence it. We can be the cure of it. We can refuse as we are writing down. In fact, just do this. When the idea comes, write it down before the automatic voice tells you no. And even if it gets away from you and does, write it down anyway. Don't allow that to stop you. You have to silence that voice or the ideas beyond what's comfortable will never get down on the paper. Take a look at the next one. Number three, make a commitment to explore the list because not everything on that list is a good idea. There are things I put on my list that are just stupid. There are things I didn't really understand. In fact, with ministry, a lot of people will say, you know, Pastor Ron, someday I'd like to be in full-time ministry. And it's mainly because they see what I do and they figure I only work half an hour a week. And there's a lot of truth to that. But the rest of the staff works really, really hard and long hours too. And so most likely you'll be one of the rest of the staff. And so just be aware it might not be everything you think. In other words, explore what you have on your list before you make a firm commitment. The commitment is to explore, and then when you find those things, then go ahead and commit to the possible that intersect with the love to. The possibles that you would love to. Go ahead and make a commitment to them. In other words, say, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, to work on this. I'm not try. I'm going to do this. Make a commitment to it. But then very quickly, we have to go to step four. We have to question our conviction. Now, conviction is how important is it to you? Ask yourself, am I willing to sacrifice for this? Question your conviction. In other words, if you have a passion, you would love to learn this instrument. Am I willing to sacrifice by my getting up and practicing? Am I willing to get out of bed earlier? Am I willing to... to count the cost of it? Am I willing to make the necessary 
investments in it in order to accomplish it. If you're not willing to make sacrifices, because let's understand, most all great things that happen in your life are built on a foundation of commitment and conviction. We live in a culture that's been, been taught that it's a bad thing to make a commit. Well, be careful you don't get overcommitted, friends. The, we live in a culture that is just running from commitment. People will, I've had young people come in and say, you know, I love this person. You know, I, I think they are the most wonderful person. We've been, I'll ask how long you've been dating. We've been dating for eight years. And I think, have you thought about marriage? Oh yeah, we think about it. But I'm having trouble making a commitment. You've been taught to be scared. The best things in your life are going to start with commitment and conviction. Those will be the things that will bring the most joy. Passing interests are only going to be passing. The things that build your life, the commitment to others, the commitment to a spouse, the commitment of parenthood, the commitment that, you know, whatever job I have right now, man, I'm gonna pour myself into it. I'm gonna do the very best, even if I'm not staying long-term in it. I'm gonna do my best while I'm there. So question your commitment. Are you willing to make sacrifices for it? And then finally, number five, harness the courage the Lord gives you. Harness the courage the Lord gives you. It's okay to be scared. Gideon was scared. It's not okay to be stopped. Gideon started at night. Put your notes aside for just a second. The angel of the Lord says, Gideon, you're going to go out and you're going to drive out the Midianites. You want to know what happens? Gideon sees that the, the, the Midianites have put up this Asheroth pole. And so he decides he's going to go out and cut it down and build an altar and, and burn up the Asheroth pole. And so he starts thinking about it and he gets scared. So he goes out there in the middle of the night with his hacksaw. And so Gideon's out there, you know, just sawing this pole down. It's pitch dark anywhere. Him and a couple of guys, they're just out there and they're cutting down the pole because he's afraid of what might happen. Friends, let's go ahead and put ourselves in that position. We are people who are prone to fear from time to time. Here's what I want you to remember. It's okay to be scared. It's not okay to be stopped. The other day, Debbie and I had gone down to Carlsbad with my brother, and he was there with his wife, and he has three girls. Now, all three of these girls have gotten married. They didn't come to me to pick out the guys they were going to marry, like your kids aren't, and niece and nephew aren't going to come to you and pick out. And so I'm getting used to these guys, still trying to decide on a couple of them. Just so far, they're working out all right. But, you know, my brother and I are there, and I know he's in the same boat trying to figure out, you know, who these young men are. And, but now they've been married long enough that the, uh, my, one, my oldest niece, she has a four-year-old and a six-year-old, but the other two, they've only been married a short time, and, but now they both have a little infant, and no, I don't want to hold them. All right, for some reason, whenever they come, they hold the baby, all right? Okay, you know, I don't want to hold the baby, all right? I drop things. And so, you know, I, we go down there, and it, when we get to Carlsbad, they're all there, and they're hanging out by the pool that day. Now, Debbie didn't really know they were going to be hanging out by the pool, so she didn't bring a bathing suit, you know, because Debbie's a, you know, real outdoor person. She'll get in the pool with all the kids and, and all that. Me, I'm a real sit in the cabana in the shade kind of person. And so there was a cabana there. I, I'm sitting in there in the shade and thinking, man, this, this is great. You know, they, some woman kept bringing me Diet Cokes. My brother's sitting there, and so we're visiting, and my, you know, his uh, first son-in-law, he's sitting there, and we're, we're just talking back and forth, and, and Parker, the four-year-old, he's out there in the pool, and, you know, it was a kid's pool, so it's all around the edge. It's only like three foot deep, and so, you know, Parker, he can stand there, and he's throwing the ball back and forth with Aunt Debbie. I don't know that she's really his aunt. I'd have to draw the picture. I don't know what relation we are to him, but Parker, you know, he's my brother's grandson. I don't know what that makes him to me, but Parker's out there in the pool having a grand old time. You can hear him laughing, and Debbie's really good with kids, and so she's out there just having fun with him and throwing the ball back and forth, but, you know, it's three foot around the edge, but... 
it gets a little deeper out in the middle. And Parker's throwing the ball, and he didn't realize as he's throwing the ball, he's backing up. And he backs up, and Parker can swim some. He's not a confident swimmer, but he can swim some. And so Debbie didn't think much about it, so he's backing up. All of a sudden, Parker realizes he's in really deep water. Now, I'm sitting there talking to Ray. Parker is his grandchild. I'm sitting there talking to Parker's dad. And Debbie's over there with him and sees that he's going under and starting to swallow water. And so she doesn't yell, Ray, his grandpa. She doesn't yell for his dad. I can't remember that kid's name right now. I'm just sitting there drinking a Diet Coke. But I heard this. Honey. Now, for those of you who haven't been married long, you need to know, or for those of you who grew up Pentecostal that need me to interpret this for you, you, you need to know that when she says, honey, she's not asking me how I'm doing. She's not curious, am I comfortable? When she says, honey, and I heard that in her voice, it was weird. That wasn't my brother's wife's voice, so he didn't even hear it. It was like, it was like you know, a dog whistle. He couldn't even hear that one. And if his wife said something, I'd have just went on talking. But when she said, honey, and I heard that in her voice. I saw Parker, he was going under, and he's swallowing and starting to, to cough up water. And, you know, I thought about, what she, no, the, I went into that pool and got that kid out. Because she didn't call for my brother. She didn't call for his dad. She called for me. Friends, what you need to understand as we talk about this, when we talk about beyond what's comfortable for you, when we talk about dreaming a different dream, really building the life worth smiling about, building the life that, that utilizes the creativity that God used in making you who you are, I know it's scary. I know for you to think about doing something different, uh, the, being different, I, I, I know all of that is frightening to us. Friends, it's okay to be scared. It's not okay to be stopped. And when you get fearful, you don't say, honey, you say, father. When Gideon got fearful, what did he say? He said, how can I do this? The angel said, I'll be with you. When the Israelites recognized they were doomed, it says they cried out to the Lord. Friends, every time in the Old Testament, when the Israelites were in trouble, when the Israelites were doomed, we find that same line. And they cried out to the Lord. When Debbie got scared, she cried out for me. When we get frightened, we need to remember that we don't dream these dreams alone and we don't put them into practice alone. We don't walk alone. What the angel said is, I will be with you. We call out Father. Bow your heads with me for just a minute. Dear Heavenly Father, there are those here that there's a major area of their life that's just not working. And Lord, they recognize it. Lord, there are those here that anxiety has just, has just become a, a regular part of their everyday life. Lord Jesus, they recognize the signs of change needed. They sense that there's something better. Lord Jesus, they're scared or they've grown used to it. 
or even comfortable. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would stir us, that you would recognize you didn't design us to live under the thumb of the Midianites. You didn't design us to to live on the verge of destruction. You didn't design us to hide out in the wine press. God, you designed us to live the abundant life that you have for us in spite of hurts, in spite of abandonment by everyone else. Lord Jesus, you were always faithful. Lord, for those who were stopped by the fact that they were abandoned in the past by someone else, God, I pray they'd understand you don't abandon. Lord Jesus, for those asking, where are the the wonders of God? Lord Jesus, help us to realize you await our call. Lord, I pray that today would be a day when we would see that in our vocation and our avocation in our whole life, we can begin to build a life worth smiling about because, Lord, you will come with us and walk with us. Lord Jesus, I pray you would touch each and every one here. We ask it in your name. Amen.